Shivani, get the confetti out because this is the 20th episode of the Virgin Radio podcast. Does that mean I've endured 20 whole hours trapped in this room with you, Alex? Yeah, if by endured you mean enjoyed, then you're probably right. Yeah, it was a typo with my mouth. This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast with Alex Milsom and Shivani Dave. Hello then and welcome to this very special episode of the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Special in two ways actually. Not only is it our 20th episode, but because it's Mother's Day on Sunday, we're going to be looking at parenting within the LGBTQ plus community. So with that, Alex, do you have any plans for Mother's Day? Yes, I'm going to be putting my Interflora subscription to good use and nice. sending my mum some flowers. Other uh, flower providers are available, probably cheaper as well. Um, so what I'm do really... you get for a subscription? Well, it basically just means I only have to pay postage once. It's like, um, I think the best example, you know, that generic online retailer that's four letters that sounds like Usos. Oh, yeah, Asos. <laughs> I don't know why I'm avoiding brands today, but... ASOS do that thing where you can go get unlimited delivery and basically Interflora do the same because they just think that I buy flowers left, right and centre for everyone I know. It's been like, oh, it's uh, it's my mum's uh, X and a half birthday. Flowers for that. Uh, mum's birthday. Flowers for that. Queen's Jubilee. Flowers for that. I don't know who they are. Kidding. You are possibly the gayest person I know. And I mean <laughs> that with a lot of love. Thank you very much. Uh, what are your plans for Mother's Day? I am going to take my mum out. My brother and I are going to be footing the bill. Um, <gasps> it's going to be lovely. Going to have a nice Sunday at home, go see my gran and hang out with my mum and just have a nice time, really. I feel like it's always a really hard time of year because, um, you know, people often get bombarded with the Mother's Day or the Father's Day when it comes to that time of year. Stuff, the promotions, they're like marketing and I feel like it is quite hard for some people who maybe don't have that familial relationship or who maybe have lost their parent. And um, yeah, it can be quite a hard time. So I'm going to yeah. check in with a couple of friends as well who I know don't have people that they can celebrate this day with. Yeah, we've spoken before about the scenarios in which some people might find themselves rejected by their family and uh, you know all of that the horribleness that that brings but also the chosen families that people adopt so however you are celebrating your mother's day or not celebrating it if you fancy a quiet one to yourself just watching netflix and sitting at home is a pretty good shout i think bridgerton will be out by then so get some hanky panky to to watch on the screen right hopefully it'll be as uh essential as the last season hanky panky i'm pretty sure we're going to need a content warning at the beginning of this episode for that gosh <laughs> Forgetting about all that nasty, Mother's Day might not be until Sunday, but let's get started with looking at gay parenting right now, shall we? And what better place to start than a worry that many of us in the LGBTQ plus community will have when contemplating coming out? Will we ever be able to have children? Have a listen to parents Robin and Paul, who spoke to Emma Goswell about this very fear. We, uh, well, the first thing to say is we wanted children and that's kind of been part of the plan since we very first met. I don't know if we actually talked about it on our first day. Day maybe that would have been a bit too much, but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it wasn't a topic of conversation, you know, pretty early on. We kind of didn't know anything about it, uh, either adoption or surrogacy really. Um, and you know, for the first year or two you, you focus on other things and um, you know, we didn't really look into it. 
Um, but then I think we definitely started looking into adoption first when we were considering whether we were, uh, you know, how we might go about having children. I think it's important actually to rewind a tiny bit. Mm. And, uh, anyone who is LGBT plus who uh, might be listening, uh, I think it's a really common theme that one of the hardest things to come to terms with when, when you're younger is the idea that you're never going to be parents. It's, it's something that often your own parents might focus on when you come out. Okay, I don't know about you, Savani, but I don't think it's ever too early to chat about that. No, I completely agree. It's yeah, it's just like you, it's it's it, 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 I don't even know how to express this one properly. But there just might be a point when you realise that you're not compatible in that sense. And obviously, no one wants to feel like they're like foundationally not compatible with one another. But it might just be that if you if you're in a relationship, you know, you you typically go in a relationship for the long term goal. You know, what what do you want to get out of it? And if you kind of go, oh they're not on the same wavelength as me. This is a really good way of working out if you are on the same wavelength, I think. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you don't want to go in on the first date and say, hey, so marriage, kids, how do you feel about sharing a mortgage or whatever? <laughs> like, that's... First of all, sharing a mortgage, I think, is a bit of a pipe dream at the moment. But, like, it, it can come on a bit strong on the first date. But I think, like, it's definitely a conversation that I've had pretty early on in a relationship, like, most people I think would say like oh that's a bit early to have that chat but I think also like because we're queer or LGBTQ plus we have an idea of like where we stand with a lot of things about where what kind of things we want in our lives because we've had to think about those things and so you know with parenting even if your stance is that you're undecided you've got a stance that you're undecided yeah that is um, a stance isn't it that is like literally a position to have yeah. on kids it's like it's, it's like um it's not a referendum you know you can change your mind as you go along after you've submitted your ballot but it's not like a, a binary decision like most things not really yeah. binary exactly and i think like also like with queer people there's so much that's involved with trying to to have children because you've got to think about like adoption or surrogacy or IVF or whatever it might be and those kinds of things mean that you kind of have to start preparing for you know the research into all of these different options maybe slightly earlier than you actually want the child to arrive like it takes more than nine months for queer people to have kids yeah absolutely I mean when you say about what was involved I used to have a really naive basis you know a really naive understanding of what parenthood would look like if you are queer my my previous understanding was like all oh, right okay so i've got to find someone who would be willing to offer you know somewhere to host my baby alex you're y- gonna walk up to women saying hey can i just borrow your body for nine months yeah i <laughs> find that a bit of a weird one but you know i i used to think you oh you had to have a really good friend that would be willing to have that and then you need to find a turkey baster and you need to fill it up and then hope for the best that's what i used to think it was involved but obviously it's so much more complex than that and you know all these different things that you have to think about and so i was the same as robin and you know it was quite a basic understanding but now obviously there's so many other options that we'll probably be exploring in the rest of the episode and we'll be talking about there's so many other options that just aren't as simple as that yeah i mean one thing that i uh i i during the lockdown i don't know why don't judge me i was listening to a lot of parenting podcasts we've all been and there. one of those was pride and joy from P- freddie mcconnell and um he talks about being a, a dad 
a trans man who is a dad and finding other queer families and, and speaking to people about how they started their families and how those families came into being and oh my gosh it's so much more complicated than the turkey baster thing even the turkey baster thing is actually quite complicated it turns out <laughs> it's so much so much more than sort of just sort of saying i'll come off the pill and we can start trying it's so much no more. it's so complex but i mean this is such a foundational part of our identity as queer people you know when you come out I know that quite a lot of people shared the experience of me um, of when they came out. It was a kind of discussion of, oh, so when are, when are the grandkids coming? Are they coming? Will they ever come? Um, and I know that... Did you come out to my mum? Is that... Is... <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that was probably a conversation that you had as well. And, you know, it's, it is a shared experience that quite a lot of us have. And that's particularly amplified when you are the only child because that adverse reactions that parents might have towards, you know, the experience of their child coming out. Obviously, you'd want them to be supportive, but part of their kind of feeling is, well, when will my grandkids come? And if you're the only child, (laughs) the statistics of if you're a queer person, you having that baby plopping out anytime soon, you know, accidental pregnancy, if you're a straight or heteronormative couple or (laughs) all of that stuff. None of that's going to happen. No accidental pregnancies between me and my other half, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, if there was, it'd be something to maybe... It's a medical marvel. We, you yeah. Know, that, would be, that would be something new. But uh, yeah, there's so many ways to consider having children. And there's also this factor of, of this child. And I know for some people it's really important. For others, it's not important. But this whole idea of being related to the person biologically having Mm. shared genealogy and if you adopt which is you know a method that lots of lgbtq plus people uh choose to go with there are all these considerations um and it can sound so silly but say you adopt a eight-year-old what surname do they use do they use your surname your partner's surname have you invented a new surname but they've already had a surname for the last eight years of their life like there's so much to consider and it all has to be done so sensitively. Yeah, adoption can be the best option for so many people, you know. Like there's all these different factors in a relationship, all these different factors about personal choice, all these different factors, you know, surround that. I think also it's it's really nice and sort of reassuring to hear that it wasn't just me who had that existential panic about, oh, will I be able to continue the family name? Yeah, no, I think that's that's sort of the quiet part said aloud. People do consider this when they're thinking about what ways they're going to have children. And I think it's really important for so many. Those are those people who do think it's really important to their families to have sort of a genetic, um, a genetic relationship with them. You know, a lot of people go down the route of IVF to try and get that. But it can be so expensive for women in same-sex relationships um in the uk it's not it's not a given it's not something that you can just guaranteed get on the nhs for Mm. a lot of people it's a postcode lottery and it can cost tens of thousands of pounds and there's no guarantee in it working so it's always a challenge with certain things like that it's always a risk and that's not to say that straight couples don't face risks and challenges i know straight people have to also go through ivf sometimes and that can be tough but it's it's a whole whirlwind um and robin and paul decided to have their child 
via surrogacy, which is again, slightly different. There are so many ways to have children, I cannot stress this enough. And of course, as we've mentioned, one of those is adoption. Someone who knows a lot about adoption is influencer Jamie Beaglehole, who adopted his two boys, Lyle and Richard, with his husband, Tom. Have a listen to Jamie on why LGBTQ plus people often make especially good candidates for adopting children. So yeah, the adoption process for us was a little bit longer, but it has to be pretty complex because, of course, adoption is such a big challenge. And all these children, as you mentioned a minute ago, have been through traumatic experiences. They've all got issues that you have to address with them. Um, So it's not something that you can take lightly. And I think the adoption process and particularly the assessment really tries to assess how resilient you are and how well you might be able to manage these issues and traumas. So basically during the assessment process, your adoption worker asks you questions and tries to assess how, what the kind of traumas you've been through you know, as an, as an adult throughout your childhood. And as LGBT people, there quite often are traumas that we've been through. Yeah, and I think LGBT people make particularly good candidates for adoption just mm. because they've all been through bullying, coming out, big kind of transitions in their life and having to put their trust in people and work through difficult experiences with other people. And I think that actually is such good experience as an adoptive parent. And having worked through those kind of things yourself does help. No, I bet. Yeah. I've never really thought about it like that, actually. But I think <laughs> LGBT people, you know, we are thinkers and we we, we, we are good at talking about our feelings because we've had to. We've had to sort of go through it, haven't we, really? Yeah, and we've also had to choose friends and family ourselves. So having then to have children that you've chosen placed with you kind of resonate somehow as an LGBT person, you know, particularly if you've faced rejection in the past. Adoption is such a process. There are so many things to consider. You know, there, there is this impression that you adopt a child and then you take it away and it's part of your family and everything's nice. But, you know, there's there's things like whatever the child might have experienced before meeting you, whatever you've experienced before meeting the child, how those things all merge together. It's It's so complex. There's no easy way to have a child, is there? That's what we're basically learning, and I reckon we will continue to learn throughout the rest of these clips. But, you know, obviously, kind of the adoption process is going to protect the people who are in it, because quite a lot of the time, based off of the, you know, the people who I know that have been through the, the care system and, you know, been through the adoption process, they are vulnerable, you know, that it isn't, and their children need to be loved but they're vulnerable for a reason because of the circumstances of their life. And that's, that's not a a nice thing. So that process is going to be really difficult, but obviously in the same way that that process has to protect people who are vulnerable. We are also vulnerable people who've had to, as a community basis of our own individual experiences have to build up our resilience. And, you know, we've been as Emma hit on the head really, really well there as a community of LGBTQ plus people, We've been hugely, hugely beset by difficulties that, you know, ultimately change the character of who we are. I would notice, you know, the, the years of bullying as a kid and the years of having to question your identity and the years of having to kind of wonder what place in the world you have. Eventually, when you come out of the other side of that, you're actually a really strong, resilient person and you've just got a lot of love to give. It just so happens to be that you might not be able to have biologically have kids because of the whole... Uh, same-sex relationship part 
the gay part yeah the queer part all of that stuff kind of makes it a bit of a burden but you still have so much love to give and you still want to you know like the gay penguins want to cradle that egg and look after it i i'm just comparing myself to a gay penguin and you know what i will continue to do so but it's it's a difficult thing it's a difficult thing to balance isn't it you want to have loads of loving same-sex people give the love that these vulnerable people deserve but also you want to protect those vulnerable people and make sure that the process is is fair and safe for them yeah it completely i i mean i've always thought adoptions are route that more people should go down like i think that if i was going to have children i would want to adopt them um mm. because there are children in this world who need homes and who need love and when you look at a child, I don't think like particularly people look at their child and think, ah, oh, yes, I share 50% of that DNA. I think they think about how much they love their child or how funny or intelligent or um, annoying or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't like how you looked up at me when you said annoying. That's kind of rude. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, it's like those, those things that like um, you think about. It's, it's never about the biology of your relationship to to a person and i think adoption gives people um an opportunity to flourish in you know when they've been dealt a hand that sort of put them in a in a bad set of circumstances really as you put it of course i i want to go back to what we spoke about in the previous clip you know chosen family and we've spoken about it on previous episodes where jamie what jamie says basically goes back to that you know people who've had to completely rebuild, reestablish uproot and create these loving familial structures that, you know, we can then have people in. But obviously the chosen family and adoption thing kind of almost go hand in hand. You know, it sounds a bit weird, but you'll have that feeling that almost if you are a really strong, you know, uh, same-sex couple, you'll have this feeling that you want to have an extra part to it. And I think it's almost quite ironic that there's so much stigma associated with LGBTQ plus people having children, you know, turning them gay and everything like that. When actually, as Jamie explained and hit on the head very well, we're usually really good at it. Yeah, and same-sex parenting comes with the option to completely redefine some of the strict gender roles and expectations that are so often surrounding heterosexual families. Now, we've heard from journalist Paul Brand on the podcast before, but have a listen to him now talking about the burden that is often placed upon mothers. Paul, have you encountered any resistance to the idea of being a same-sex parent or are you worried about any, I don't know, going on holiday as a family or any of these things? It's, it, to be honest, I, in, in real life, in my interactions with people day to day, I have not come across a single bad reaction. And I think all of us have to focus on what matters, which is what your family and your friends think of you. And I have had, and both of us, my, my husband and I, have, have had so much support from our family. They could not be more excited to have a grandchild and a, and a nephew in their lives. Um, and my friends and my work colleagues are exactly the same too. We've had so, so, so much love. 
the only things that I've kind of come across that have been a bit tricky have been practical things. And actually, uh, what I think is almost more difficult about being a gay dad is not the gay bit, but the dad bit. <laughs> because so much of parenting is oriented towards mums. And I think uh. I've had a real insight, actually, into the challenges that, that particularly straight women face in the fact that all of the responsibility is loaded onto women. So we did NCT classes, for example. I'll probably get into trouble for saying this. They'll probably come after me. But, you know, a lot of that was about, you know, all the things a mum needs to get ready for and the dad needs to be there with a cup of tea and rubbing her back. And that was literally the dad's role. <laughs> and you just think the whole of parenting is set up to be all about the mum. And, and so that's been the hardest part is, you know, when, when, our, when our son was born, we had to do things like getting registered at the GP and they want the mother's address. And you say, well, what about the father's address? No, 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 it needs to be the mother's address. We need proof of the mother's address. And so, all, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't begrudge that in the slightest in, in the sense that, you know, mums are absolutely brilliant. I've got one myself. I love it to bits. <laughs> but my goodness, what a burden for women that they carry through life, that they, right from the word go, they have to do all of the parenting. And, and, it's, and it's rubbish for dads and it's rubbish for mums. Do you know, it's actually really nice and refreshing just to hear, <laughs> considering that we're so enshrouded with hate. Like, so many people hate us, you know, on social media and everything, left, right and centre. So many people hate us just because we're out proud queer people. It's so nice that Paul hasn't had that comeback for him and his husband, that, you know, he's just being able to positively and excitingly talk about that experience. It's really nice to hear, isn't it? Yeah, I love these positive experiences that Paul is talking about because it's so encouraging that it's yeah. not all doom and gloom. <laughs> um, although completely shocking that, well, shocking, but now that it's been said out loud, I'm like, oh no, I probably should have known that. Are but you really the shocked? The amount of sexism in parenting in 2022 is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I want to pretend to be shocked and I want to be shocked by it all, but actually I'm not. This is just, sadly, it's it's the way that even though we are making so many strides, you just have to look at that like gender pay bot to see that actually we're, we're still stuck in the 18th century at points. The gender pay bot literally made my life on International Women's Day. And like mums are amazing that's what i realized from what paul was saying like mums mm. are doing the most they're doing this all unpaid and it often means that they have to step back in their careers and find time to be able to do everything and it's just highlighted here it's it's one way that like feminism and lgbtq plus rights need to come together and are so intertwined because this isn't fair for gay dads to experience this and it's not fair on mums either who are doing the most. Love you. Yeah, all mums, shout out. <laughs> shout out to all mums, especially my mum. Bit of a lunch. <laughs> um, you know, the practical burdens that exist for people to be a same-sex parent are huge, you know, because obviously there is also, you know, the, the, the stigma. There's also, you know, the, the societal attitudes to it, but also there's the practical stuff, you know, I, I know of some people who are newly discovering uh, the same-sex burdens to being a parent with, like, breast milk. And, you know, all of those different... I say, I've given one example and I've said all of those different things, but that's a huge example of the burdens that a two males wouldn't be able to 
produce breast milk and so then have to source it alternatively or have to use formula milk or however it changes there's nothing wrong with formula there's nothing wrong with formula as has been we don't we don't formula shame in this podcast no formula shaming here Uh, uh, uh. but i learned from listening to all my parenting podcasts that formula is like a really hot topic and lots of people have to use formula but then they get shamed for it by other people in the space of (laughs) new parenting so i just thought we'd we'd quickly dabble quickly dabble But going back to that, there's also the gender roles and, you know, it's interesting to see how those gender roles that traditionally exist in a familial structure are replicated when it comes to same-sex couples. We've spoken about that in just the relationship itself in previous episodes of the Pridecast. But what about in the family structure and, you know, the who does the most and who does the quote housewife stuff and who does if we you know I'm, I'm using air quotes around that one for the avoidance of doubt because i don't belong in the 19th century but it's almost like you have to sort of a force to adopt roles in that family structure yeah of course and also like if you just think about the way that our our system is set up it's for new mothers it's for the wife and the husband, anything outside of that structure seems to make the whole system just fall apart. And it doesn't work. Just looking at things like maternity leave, if you look at maternity leave and compare that against paternity leave, it's massively different. And in a situation where you've got two dads or two mums or a single parent, a single father, for example, or a single mother, you're not having the same experience depending on your identity because you're a man or a woman and and have a feeling that non-binary parenting would just completely blow all (laughs) this out of the water. But despite the stigma that surrounds LGBTQ plus parents, we actually offer a really exciting opportunity to challenge some of the gender roles which are common in heterosexual families. But is life any different for the children of LGBTQ plus parents? We'll be looking at this next, right after your Virgin Radio Pride weekly update with Daryl Jackson. Thank you. Hello, first this week. A same-sex couple was subjected to homophobic abuse in Gloucestershire by a group of teenagers. Daniel McDonnell and Giles Norton were targeted by four or five teenagers on a night bus in Cheltenham. The couple had been attending a drag event in the town and Gloucestershire police believe they were targeted because Mr McDonnell was dressed in drag. Officers said the pair was subject to verbal homophobic abuse on the top deck of the number 10 bus as it travelled from Cheltenham to Gloucester. Mark Ruffalo and Kerry Washington are among celebrities backing Disney employees over walkouts in protest at the company's response to a new law. Republicans in Florida recently passed a bill which limits teaching about sexual orientation and gender identity to young children. The firm's chief executive has been criticised for not using Disney's vast influence in the state to try and quash the bill. US footballer Megan Rapinoe says it's not safe for male players to come out as gay. Australian Josh Cavallo was targeted with abuse from fans after becoming the world's only known gay professional men's player last year. 
Rapino, who's an ambassador for a number of LGBT organisations, says men are scared to reveal their sexuality. They either feel like they're going to be abused from fans, kicked off teams, they're going to you know, have uh, slurs thrown at them, whatever it is. So it's, it's not safe. And until it is safe, we won't see any male players. I think it's safer on the women's side. And I think we have a lot of camaraderie just between ourselves and a lot more people coming out. Finally for this week, the Queen will appear on the front cover of British Vogue for the first time as part of celebrations to mark her Platinum Jubilee. A photo of Her Majesty in the early years of her reign has been chosen for the April issue. Queen's Gambit actress Anya Taylor-Joy will also feature on the magazine's twin cover wearing a replica of the monarch's crown. That's all for this week. I'll have more next week. Thanks, Daryl. Now, so far this week, we've looked at some of the ways in which LGBTQ plus people can be parents, as well as the gender roles which gay parents are often able to challenge. But is life any different for the children of LGBTQ plus parents? Let's hear again from Jamie, who spoke about the experience of his children at school. Can I ask you, has there been any problems with the kids getting bullied because they've got two dads? Because I think that's something that, that I would worry about. One or two like minor incidents, but actually one thing we realised quite quickly when the kids started primary school was that we, Tom and I, are probably seen to the other kids as just another boring couple of adults. I don't think the kids are necessarily particularly prejudiced about same-sex couples at that age. And well, they're not, are they? Because as we know, all these sort of prejudices are taught, aren't they, really? And actually, yeah, kids, the but the younger they are, they don't care. They don't care. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so Tom and I were just another boring parent. The funny thing about small children when they're sort of five or six is that they are just completely no filters about what they ask, what they yeah. ask you. what they ask. So we did have like a couple of kids coming over and they'll ask really ridiculous questions like, do you know Ronaldo? Or they'll say, you know, they'll just be really blunt and say, where's the boy's mum? And stuff like that. And but basically they don't mean any harm or any kind of malice by it. They're just completely open books, aren't they, these kids? So Tom and I were faced with kind of quite a few insensitive questions from other kids, but they met, all meant well. I think they were just curious, you know, mm. about how one day one dad picked the boys up and the next day there's another dad, you know, waiting there. It's just curiosity. I think the key thing here is like the age of the children. They haven't had that opportunity to learn about homophobia yet. This is an example of kids asking questions to try and understand. In in a way, it's sort of representation on the playground at school pickup times because the kids who are asking these questions have probably only ever known heterosexual couples. Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with being naturally curious about the world. And that's something that kids will always have. I've noticed it, um, particularly with my younger brother. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he has learning difficulties and he's physically disabled and people would often stop and stare. And my mum always taught me the approach of, you know, if people, are, uh, people have this sort of question, it looks like they've got a question on their lips. There's nothing wrong about talking about it. If you feel like you can't talk about something, it encourages and perpetuates the fact that it's something to not be talked about. It's like, oh, no, we don't talk about that. Yeah, it makes it taboo. Exactly. And there's nothing taboo about being disabled. And there's nothing taboo about, you know, my brother looking a bit different from the rest of the world in terms of what, and I'm using air quotes here, normal people look like. But if we don't encourage people to be feel like they can actually talk about it and, you know, make people think there's something wrong about talking about it, then actually we continue and make the world a lot of a worse place. So I think it's, you know, nice that he can 
talk about the whole experience of being able to just after they look like they've got questions you know being a bit con- confused or curious just to be able to talk about it and he's not shaming those kids for having those questions they're not meaning it negatively they're just curious about the world like we all are yeah and i guess like at that age you don't know like society hasn't taught you what things you should and shouldn't ask whether that is right or wrong you know you you're saying maybe it is wrong to to not ask the question if you really want to know something um society hasn't told these kids yet that they shouldn't be asking questions about where the mummy is or why there are two daddies or whatever and it's not because they're being homophobic because they also haven't learnt homophobia it's just a way for them to try and process what's going on in their tiny little child brains which is kind of cute when you see them all like all the cogs turning mummy why does that man have two dads that's literally probably what they're thinking you know just why does that man have two dads (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that uh, depends on what they're looking for on grinder young johnny anyway (laughs) no (laughs) yeah I, i mean obviously it's a shame that like jamie and his partner have to deal with this sort of emotional labor he might not want to go to the playground and talk about um his relationship or the fact that he's gay it might not be the right time emotionally for them to be discussing these things like you don't always want to get 20 questions from kids no but at the same time i feel like their visibility is is powerful in that space yeah and it's 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 nice to also hear from jamie that the kids don't really care it's the parents who you know are commenting on same-sex parents i i saw this when i was growing up and the kind of like oh oh all the mums kind of looking over and seeing two guys kiss because there was the same-sex parents in my year group in year six. Oh, the, like, you know, the silence, it was like a pin could drop and you'd hear it. Where in actual fact, no, no one in my year group really cared. It was like, oh, you got two dads, cool. It was actually quite nice. Whereas the parents are, you know, perpetuating, oh, this is something we shouldn't talk about. The parents are perpetuating talking about it. Whereas the kids are actually being endearing. Yeah, 100%. And we've spoken about this before, but it's reinforcing that idea that in the majority of cases, kids just don't care. Exactly. But something which can really help the experience of children from LGBTQ plus families is increased representation. And someone who knows a lot about this is author Jodie Lancet Grant. Have a listen. If we have... Um, LGBTQ plus families in books, films, TV shows, all of these problems kind of are just dialed down and fared away. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's really, really true. The more representation we have of different kinds of families, the less stereotyping there will be, the less things exactly as you say of unfair loading of the different kinds of work you do as a parent. Something that my wife and I feel that we fall outside of, which is a really lovely thing for us because there aren't any gender roles in our marriage. So we both kind of muck in and do it equally and I've seen so many of my straight friends where that's not really been the case but really I think the reason we need this representation is so that kids like our children see themselves in the pages of stories understand that they're worth telling stories about and that everybody can understand that this is a normal part of life and that this is uh, these families are just as valid as any other family. Well, we've always said it on this podcast. It's kind of the regurgitating theme. Uh, regurgitating, probably not the uh, prettiest word to use there, but representation of people in visible places. 
where we can see people that look like us, visibly, out there, representing us. I'm going around in circles here, but you get the point. Representation is so hugely important. Yeah, 100%. It, like, is massively important. When it comes to gay parenting or same-sex parenting, um, the visibility of this has been so hidden for so long that, you know pre-2002 you couldn't adopt a child as a same-sex couple i (sighs) don't know off the top of my head what it was like to try and get ivf or or any of the other methods of of having a child surrogacy or anything like that as a same-sex couple i can't imagine it was very easy um and there's almost no visibility of same-sex couples having children pre-2002 and since 2002 it's not like every single LGBTQ plus person has gone out, had a same-sex relationship and, and adopted a child, after, you know, when it became legal. Um, there's still a massive amount of, of work that needs to be done to show what it's like to have queer families, to have, you know, children as a queer couple. Yeah, and even beyond the, the whole, you know, uh, being able to adopt process, there's still so many inequalities in the law that, you know, treat heterosexual uh, couples on a completely different footing to same-sex ones. And I think back to, uh, I remember the journalist Dean Eastman who passed away, but before he, he passed away at the age of 21, but before he passed away, he secured a change from the uh, regulator on, uh, you know, I, th- I think basically he'd frozen a sperm sample because he, he passed away quite young. He'd frozen a sperm sample so that he could have kids after he was gone with his partner. But that legislation previously just existed that said as soon as uh, if you're in a a homosexual couple, as soon as you pass away, you can't use the frozen genetic material to fertilize. So even from 2002 back to, I think, 2017 when that changed. Um, again, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so it may be slightly wrong, but back to around 2017 when that change actually was brought in, you know, to to the law. But, like, that's the last five years where actually there's some equal footing there. It's yeah. so bizarre. And uh, I can't believe that. Gay adoption wasn't legal until 2002. That is... Yeah, and I mean, the system's still uh, on in a place to facilitate, you know, um, same-sex parents we've heard so many examples of why in this episode and there needs to be more support for people to to be able to operate within the system that has been set up you know people in these organizations that are sort of providing support for new parents need to almost go out of their way a little bit to make sure that families can work in a system or families can thrive in a system that has not been built for them. And that includes single parents, that includes same-sex dads, same-sex mums, non-binary parenting, all sorts of things that are factors to consider when, when trying to navigate this space of new parenting. Yeah, and my last point that I'd make is about that validity you know as jody puts it there these families are just as valid as every other again air quotes for the third time this episode normal family if such a thing exists but going back to like passport forms when you have to put the name of your parents on the passport form 
and it used to just be mother and father and now it's parent one and parent two and the the uproar that some groups you know the really vocal minorities but gosh they are vocal gosh they want you to hear about how disgusted they are that we're no longer using mother and father because oh we're eroding the values of you know what makes this country great um all of that stuff and so that validity should be enshrined in law should be recognized by everything you know your birth certificate if you happen to have same-sex parents should probably be able to have both your parents names on it you know yeah your passport forms should be able to say parent one and parent two without it causing the apocalypse uh you know your applications Although for you, jobs you just know there are gonna be so many fights over who is parent one and i'm like being listed as parents who i'm filing for divorce that's <laughs> happening so like you get the first double barrel of the double barreled surname <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah the first barrel of the double barrel <laughs> i want the first double barrel by the way i think milson whatever the name comes after it just sounds good milson darve yeah darve milson i think darve milson higher Wrong. up in the uh higher up in the uh, list of surnames so when it's always like counted from the last name you know when they put you in a list like a chronological <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. a register a classroom register or whatever i i had a great experience being middle of the list m is quite in the middle of the list so um i had a very good experience from that forgettable I, mm, I don't know would you call I'd me forgettable the first one up there at the front of a class making a fool out of myself no anyway well, we digress the only thing that your the, your future child will be front of the list for is if they do it from smallest to largest. Oh. Alex, this is why I need to adopt. <laughs> this is why I'm adopting. Of course. Don't don't don't. I'm not going to pretend it hasn't crossed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think like yeah, you know, representation is so important. Going back to what Jodie's saying, like imagine if Pepper one day goes to her friends. Sorry, I'm talking about Pepper Pig, of course. Imagine if Pepper Pig <laughs> one day goes to a friend's house and the friend there has gay parents. Like that would be great for kids of that age to see. And then people who are gay parents in the playground aren't the first gay parents this child has seen because they see it as a normal thing that happens on their TV screens. And yeah. um, it's it's those kinds of things. Like we really, because of the representation of gay parenting, it sort of set off a set of domino effects that turned into section 28 um, because of the book, Jenny Lives with Eric and Marcus. And now we're sort of rebuilding the damaging legacy that that has left and there's still such a long way to go to make sure that representation is is present yeah of course i could just imagine the being hi i'm pepper this is daddy pig and this is other daddy pig and like, i'm sorry i don't know i felt the dog the um the pig impressions were quite needed because of how heavy they're used in pepper pig but thank imagine you for providing be, you you're welcome um, it'd be groundbreaking if you saw that in the, just in the same way, you know, with, uh, people who have disabilities, seeing them on children's TV so that my young niece, young nephew come into a world where they don't think that disabled people are any different than them. They just, they just think, okay, cool. That's a, that's a fellow person. They look like they're good fun to hang out with. Okay, cool. 
So again, it all comes down to representation. And with that, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for on this parenting special of the Virgin Radio Podcast. We'll be back as always. Not sure if that's a threat or a promise next week. But if you'd like to get in touch before then, you can email us on podcast at virginradio.co.uk or you can tweet us at Virgin Radio UK, remembering to use the hashtag Virgin Radio Podcast. See you next week.